You're Let's all set? dive in. Yeah. All right. Welcome to the Creativity Lab, the podcast that shows how to channel your creativity to live your best, most beautiful life. And now here's your host, director of the Creativity Lab at West Los Angeles College, Harvard PhD, TV writer and professor, Dr. Catherine Boutry. Thank you for joining us. Today's interview is hosted by an actor with hundreds of credits, including Brooklyn Nine-Nine, iCarly, and Bob's Burgers. He's also the producer of our podcast. Please welcome Keisuke Hawashi. Today's guest is Stephanie Ikonomu, award-winning composer for film and television. You'll recognize her music on huge films like The Martian and Mulan, hit TV shows like Whiskey Cavalier, The Chair, and Jupiter's Legacy, and one of the biggest video games of the year, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Please welcome composer, violinist, musician, and advocate, Stephanie Ikonomu. You know, I've been fortunate enough to follow your career from almost the very beginning. Uh, for, for our viewers, we first met at a summer camp in Oneonta, New York, where you, if I remember, were a very, very talented young violinist, and I was the single most unqualified music camp director in all history. No matter, I, I remember it slightly differently, but <laughs> those were the origins, yes. So I have a, a little bit of a surprise here I wanted to share with you. Oh, so, no. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Look at that hair. <laughs> Yeah, and look at those bell bottoms with the flip flops. That's a classy, classy look. Never goes out of style. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. We had you as a violinist primarily back then, but did you play a bunch of other instruments at the time? I grew up playing piano. I played piano for probably a couple of years before I picked up violin, but truthfully, I was never very good at it. It just wasn't my instrument, even though I studied it for, I don't know, a decade or something. It just wasn't. I don't know, it wasn't me, violin, it just sort of fell into place and it felt more like my primary instrument. Though I do still, I don't practice piano, I don't practice violin anymore either, but I do still compose on piano, which I find to be the most useful tool for composition. Um, you know, it's a visual instrument, I can sit there, I can sketch out ideas. So, you know, I'm very glad that I, my parents paid lots of money for a decade of piano lessons because it definitely did come in handy, even though I say that I sucked at it and still do. Um, I'm still grateful for those lessons because it, it's a great tool as a composer. Now, in your career as a professional composer for film and television, what was the biggest obstacle that you have faced? I feel like my biggest obstacles were trying to train myself, you know, in an industry that is so competitive and cutthroat training myself to not compare myself to others, which, you know, as you know, Hollywood is an industry where it's just full of, look at what this person's doing. You're not there. Look at what that person's doing. Look at all the overnight success they've had. And it's all based around these kind of falsified images, right? That's, that's what you see a lot of the time. And that's what you're, you feel these things and reflect back on yourself and be like, well, I'm not there. What do I do? Do I pat? You know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough to not compare yourself to others. Worrying about yourself as an artist is the most important thing because you're in control of what you do. Worrying about what somebody else is doing has no effect and no positive effect on your life. Well, and how did you overcome that sort of thing? How, what, what sort of tools or self-mental tools or disciplines did you develop? Years of trying to catch myself when it was happening. I think, I think most success comes from, personal success comes from self-awareness. And I think anytime I looked at somebody's success and were sort of like had that itch to be like, oh, what can I do to get there? I'd just like, you know, pause, recollect, you know, 
um, it's, it's not about that. And it's about what you can do in the moment. You're fully in control of putting your head down, putting in the work and carving your own opportunities. My dad has kind of taught me to be that way since I was a kid. He's like, don't worry about what other people are doing and worry about yourself. He's always said that to me when I was growing up. But again, it's like, you don't really realize it until you're living your own adult life that it's easier said than done. But I feel like that's a mantra that he's always said to me that now I have in my head all the time. It's like, you know, you don't need to you just refocus, right? Like your perspective, what your work is. And um, yeah, it's still, I think it's a constant, it's a constant battle for all of that. But being self-aware is the first step. There always seemed to be an air of intense competition about everything musical. Are there similarities to that in composition? I've never quite thought about it, but yeah, since I was a kid, there was always this air of competition in music. There's always that, you're always vying for first chair. You're always, you know, vying to be the leader. And I was always a very competitive kid and like quite a sore loser. So um, I think I thrived in those environments. Uh, yeah, going bowling with me as a child was not fun. I was, su I was such a sore loser awful. I just like, I don't like being bad at things. And, uh, <laughs> but I think because I was sort of raised in that very competitive musical environment, I felt like if I didn't get it, I was a total failure. And it just really, it brought me down. Um, but I am also of the personality that I, it made me want to fight harder. I didn't feel like dwarfed by it or like I wanted to give up. I never felt that way. And I think that translates to my professional life as a composer, you know, being a professional creative person or a professional artist, there, there's lots of failures, you know, and you can't take it personally. Like same thing with the not comparing yourself to others. It's so much easier said than done, but so many things are out of your control when it comes to job opportunities or like, you know, any, any of those things. So I think not letting the failures keep you down for that long is really important. It felt like the end of the world when I was a kid, but I still got back up and I fought, I fought to be better. Um, and that's self-improvement too. It's not just about like, you know, getting that success and showing everyone I'm the I'm first chair and I'm head of the orchestra. It's not about that. It's about for me feeling like I'm growing, I'm advancing. And those failures for me felt personal. It wasn't about the image of it. So same thing in my professional life is like when you get close to getting that gig and I'm sure you're well familiar with this, it's so much worse than if you just don't get it outright. It's like when you get close and then you're like runner up or something, it's just like, what could I have done? You know, what could I have done? I think being resilient is so crucial in any creative field um, because something else will come along and it'll be fine. But if you let it keep you down, nothing's going to come of that. Just like comparing yourself to others, nothing's going positive is going to come of that. And these careers are full of, you know, no's. It's full of no's. So you have to, you have to be okay with being like, oh, it went another way, you know, onto the next. That's all good. Just water off a duck's back. You know, it has to be that way. So even though I'm still very, very competitive, it's, <laughs> I, ha I have a better understanding of like, this is just how it operates. You can't take it personally. It's, it's, a, it's a business. And even though we feel like our art is such a direct expression of who we are as a person, like ultimately it's not personal. It's not, and you have to try to create some sort of separation so that you don't feel like you're destroyed every time it doesn't, it's not a win for you. You said something about failure and I'm wondering how is failure measured in, in a composer's world? I think the way that I would define failure in my work is if I feel like I didn't do something to top what I did last, or I'm do, if I'm doing the same thing over and over again, and I feel like I'm phoning it in, that's a failure to me. 
I never want to have a career that looks like that. I always want to be able to do work where I can bring something else to it, where I can take something away and, and, you know, just do something different that I didn't do in the last job. Even if at the end of the day, this is a job and we need to do what we have to do to do the job right. I still think it's, there's doing the job right. And there's doing the job the best that you can do the job. Um, and sometimes it means going above and beyond. So that's what failure looks like to me, less so like not getting a gig. That's not failure to me. That's just a opportunity potentially missed, but then more come. Let's talk about creativity itself. Uh, what do you consider to be your strongest creative traits? This doesn't seem like it would be a creative trait, but I do feel like I'm a very organized and detail-oriented person, which you would think is like, has nothing to do, is the opposite of creativity, but I really don't think it is. Um, you know, I, I think when I sit down to write music and especially in film and TV where it, it, you have to be very regimented and organized because you have to finish something, you have deadlines, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that need to get accomplished and you have to have that sort of brain in order to do that. So when I sit down and I know I have to write five minutes of music that day, which is a tall ask, like I have to use my creativity through my, you know, organized lens and think, okay, how can I accomplish the things I wanna accomplish creatively within these time constraints, within these budgetary constraints, within you know all of these other things? And I think that makes me a better creative person because I have an awareness, again, coming back to self-awareness, I have an awareness of how I need to operate my creative mind in order to accomplish the goals that I need to, to be a successful collaborator. I have lots of ideas. I have lots of colors and melodies and harmonies flowing through my brain at all times when I'm working, but being able to harness them correctly and efficiently to do my work to the best of my ability while still challenging myself and still trying to evolve from the last thing that I did, like we talked about. Um, I think that's a strength of mine as an artist. Limitations are really, really crucial um, because otherwise you just get lost in this soup of ideas and you don't know like how to best express them. So I think, I think if boundaries come in the form of like, okay, I'm only using a string quartet for this score, that's a boundary or a time constraint. Like I have a day to finish this cue or else it's not getting in the movie. That's a boundary, you know? Um, I think those things are really important for artists to place because you can thrive within boundaries in a really, really big way and make something excellent and keep topping yourself even within those boundaries. Is there any other creative trait that you feel like you could be a, you could be a little bit better at? I need to be better at delegating things to make my life easier and to make my life more balanced because as we know as creative people, there's so many things we have to do at once. We have to be so well-rounded as people and as business-minded, you know, but it's not the end of the world if I need to like get an assistant in to help out so that I can sleep, you know, it's like, it's not good for me to just stay up doing, doing menial tasks that aren't going to ultimately help the, the music. You know what I mean? It's just like things that need to be done in order to deliver. Um, so I'm having, I've been working on that actively for a couple of years, just like giving responsibility to other people and it, it takes trust and it takes these other things, but ultimately understanding like zooming out and being like, it's going to be okay. You know what I mean? Like, what's the worst thing that could happen? Like understand what that worst thing is and then have things in place to deal with it if it happens, but otherwise just trying to let go and loosen up a little bit, I think is something that I've always needed to work on. Um, because yeah, I can just be a little bit intense about stuff. And maybe that comes from the competitive nature in me. I don't think it does, but I just, the intensity maybe just comes from the competitiveness. 
part of growing your career as a composer is kind of an expensive thing where you have to keep up with technology. How do you keep up with that? How do you uh, continue growing your career as the technology evolves and you have to replace things or learn new programs? It's a good question because people don't really, <laughs> people don't talk about it enough because it does seem daunting. Like how do you break in when you don't have hundreds and thousands of dollars? Having financial constraints, that's a real thing. I mean, I made music with very little for many, many years. And I know probably some of the best musicians I've ever met, including Ari Mason, who you know, who I met at the same music festival, um, is a brilliant songwriter, composer, producer, vocalist, viola da gamba player. She ma has made music her whole life with a laptop and a mic and a, not a very expensive mic. And she sat in a closet in a studio apartment in Koreatown and recorded multiple albums. And her production still sounds better than most professional, like in you know these higher up producers. It's just, it doesn't, it's your craft. It's how you work. It's how you harness the technology that you have, not necessarily the technology that you can acquire with a lot of money. It's about making, again, this is a boundary, you know, like what you can afford and what you can make music with, making the best music you possibly can with all of that. I watched one of your, uh, the interview that you have on your website, and there's that fascinating section, Jupiter's Legacy, where you discussed inventing new sounds. As a composer, you find these performers that you love collaborating with, and you know who to turn to when you don't know how to get this thing out that you have in your head. <laughs> in the case of Jupiter's Legacy, I really wanted to ex like broaden the sound palette that I was using. I didn't want to use, I, I wanted to do a lot of non-traditional techniques, basically. And Ari is a vocalist who has a ton of experience in studying, you know, ancient music and just various types of world music and things like that. So I would just say, listen, I want to do something weird vocally, something rhythmic. I don't really know what it needs to be. And she would take it and she would be like, let me just try some stuff. And then she would put layers of this like throaty grunting. Um, and then she would do, you know, like overtone singing, or she would just microtonal Latin chanting, you know, crazy stuff like that. So oftentimes it's just a very vague idea that I have in my head that I don't know how to express. It's about, it's about like finding those people who love to be weird with you and experiment um, because that makes my life, it's just, that's the exciting part about being a composer. Like I said in the beginning, getting professional musicians to play your music is such a good feeling. And then getting people to interpret your weird ideas is so wonderful. And the fact that they're excited about it, you know, they're like, let's do something strange. Let's work it out together. It's that collaborative process that makes being creative so, so wonderful. It's fantastic that, that you, you, you actually just vocalized that collaboration is a part of the creative process in itself. It's not something, it certainly can exist in a vacuum, but it sure sounds like it just expands the world that you're able to hit to such to, to exponential levels. Being a composer, I find it's ultimately a, a very isolating kind of creative experience. It can be. And there were, you know, I was, I was working a lot um, when I was kind of starting out. It was just crazy hours all the time. And I got to like four years into this job and I was like, did I ever like making music? You know, I lost, I lost what I loved about it. I lost what I loved. And I think that happens to a lot of people where it's like you're working and you, you're like a tunnel vision, you know, work, work, work and get the experience and grow. And then you sort of forget why you loved it to begin with. And I think about 
why I loved music and it was playing in orchestras, you know, it was playing at Nismith, it was playing with other people and making music with other people. So now as a composer, when I get to call up my trumpet player friend or get to call up Ari, like that's what's exciting to me. It's not sitting in a room and making my own music by myself. It's getting other people involved so we can share in the creativity together. Bravo to you to being able to make so many other musicians' lives better by you know, pulling them into the circle. That's, that's really would, wonderful to do. I would be screwed without them, so. <laughs> <laughs> You're a new board member for the Alliance for Women Film Composers. Uh, and that, from what I've read, that sounds like a wonderful group to be involved with. Now, could you tell us a little about that organization? Yeah, so I've been a board member for the Alliance for, this will be my third term actually, so I was just reelected for a third term. It's a wonderful organization. When we were talking about obstacles, I debated whether or not to talk about, you know, how they're the the sort of ratio between male and female composers in this industry is is pretty striking. Um, significantly less women are kind of breaking through and have historically, um, just due to kind of you know systemic sexism and misogyny and a boatload of other reasons. Um, and the Alliance is a fantastic foundation that offers visibility for female composers and female, you know, just songwriters, arrangers, all different kinds of female artists. And so as a board member for the past several years, I've been part of various committees. Um, myself and two other composers founded um, a mentorship program that we've been doing for three years now. And it's a pretty unique program because it's designed for one-on-one -on -one mentorship with a big A-list composer and an emerging female composer. The reason we created that program was because we saw that there was a lack of access for younger female composers to these very decorated composers to chat with them about process and workflow and understand their experiences and how they got to where they are. There was just, that wasn't happening for female composers. We weren't seeing that same sort of relationship for some reason, historically in a studio setting. So we find that the one-on-one -on -one mentorship is really, really crucial. I think most successful people have had a mentor offer guidance over the course of many years, or even just a short period that have, you know, that's, that's really echoed through their entire professional life. So we think that's a crucial program um, for offering that visibility for younger composers. So that's just one of the many committees that the Alliance for Women Full Composers offers. Um, you know, there's great, excellent educational outreach. Um, you know, there's something called AWFC Care, which is a program that offers support to new mothers or people who are caring for elderly family members or people with disabilities. Um, so it's just a great place for camaraderie, for support just to give that extra sense of community to female composers because it can seem like you're so isolated because you're always surrounded by men. You know, you're oftentimes just the only woman in a room full of men. Um, but I don't find that to be an obstacle anymore. I find, and I find it's the same for many female composers. Being a woman in a, a male dominated industry is not an obstacle. It's a reason to fight harder, you know, is a reason to be more driven. You know, we have more of a fire lit under us than anybody else because we have to be better than the men. We have to be. That's just the way it has to be. So having a group like the Alliance is just a nice way to kind of come together and understand and see each other. You're able to give back to people who you know, may be at the beginning of their career as well. And right. you, know, you may provide the magical push to get them to be the next Stephanie Ekonomou. <laughs> Oh, we'll see. That, that's the hope. Like I said, it's such a visibility problem. Like so many young girls 
don't even know this is a career they can pursue because they've just seen men do it. They don't even, you know, I think it's a very subconscious bias that they're experiencing. There's like, I, you know, when you see a woman conducting an orchestra, I think kids notice that stuff and they say, I want to do that. But when you don't see women conducting scoring sessions or, or you don't see music by a female, it's just like there that like you can't do it. So the more that we create that visibility, visibility for younger generations, I think the better that those percentages and numbers are going to be. Do you have overall some final best words of wisdom uh, that you can share with our audience as how you can thrive or how they can thrive in a creative career? You have to be you. Whatever that means to you, I find that individuality is the most important thing as a creative person. If you have a voice, I think you need to share it, you know? And I think if you have the urge to create, be you, you know, we're all sort of an amalgamation of all of these influences, you know, that we grew up with and continue to experience. And nothing is truly like an individual voice, but I think our voices are all of those influences kind of muddled up inside of us and how it comes out of our lens is what creates something unique. So I think just being you, not trying to copy the career of anyone that you admire because that goes back to kind of comparing yourself to somebody else it's like oh well I want I know I want to get there so what did they do let me do that that's not the way life works you know we're all born into different circumstances sometimes we're born into disability sometimes we have you know financial constraints there are a lot of things that can stand in the way of us getting to that point that maybe that person didn't have at all so I think even if you have those roadblocks in the way if you have something to say, say it, share it and make it you. Don't make it anybody else's, you know, don't try to make it anybody else. Don't try to sound like anybody else. I mean, but I think ultimately what we need more of in this world are diverse, unique voices. So just be you. And if people force you to be something else, just always have you in there, keep it intact, you know, because sometimes for work, you have to try to be different things, but developing that special inner voice that's just you. I think that's the best that you can do. And if you have that urge to create, create, regardless of what your circumstances are, you can make it work with a lot of things in your way. It's, it's very possible. Absolutely wonderful. Inspirational stuff. Well, thank you so much for all your time here, Stephanie. And I do have one more gift for you here. One little, one little surprise. Now I'm afraid I do not have a copy of Mondesi to your original piece that you performed on July 7th, 2006 at the New York Summer Music Festival. However, what I do have is Letters of the Rain, which you created in 2007 and oh had God. performed at camp. And I actually have the entire video available. Now I won't play oh it all. Oh my God, I'm terrified. Hi, I'm Stephanie Conroe, I'm 17 from Long Island. Um, this is called Letters of Rain. It's written for violin, cello, piano, and um, it starts out kind of with the beauty of somber mood and that every goes into more of a choir.
Oh man. Wow. I really had a bohemian thing going on back then, didn't I? And then like, I only wrote music in minor keys. I don't, I think that's just a, the brooding nature in me where like everything kind of sounded like a string arrangement of a Linkin Park song or like very watered down rock on and off. I don't know. I don't know why that was in me. I don't know. Very... Oh wow. This was really special. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're very welcome. I hope people find it useful for wherever they are in their careers. <laughs>